As you know, this summer we're going through the 23rd Psalm, and we are on verse 2, and this is the second part of a message titled, God's Stress Reduction Plan. Anybody need some stress reduction out there? Amen, amen. Let's read uh, Psalm 23, verse 2. Can we all read it out together, uh, out loud? Uh, The guys will put that up on the screen for you. You should probably know this by heart. It says, he maketh me to lie down. Okay, uh, there were three of you going along with me there. All right, uh, Psalm 23, 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Hey, you know why we're stressed? You know why? You know why? We're like sheep. We're like sheep. The Bible says in Psalm 100, verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the what? Sheep of his pasture. Now, when the Lord calls us sheep, we found out he was not complimenting us. He was describing us. He said, uh, you are my little sheep. And, you know, we're like, oh, isn't that so sweet? Well, actually, here's what he was saying. He was saying, you're dumb. Anybody have a pride problem this morning? We just kind of got you right down right there. Uh, Sheep are dumb. You've never seen a sheep trick. (laughs) Jump through the hoop. Um, So you've never seen that. Sheep are dumb. They're defenseless. They have no defenses. Sheep are, are, they have no sense of direction. Let me me talk about that real quick. Uh, They have no sense of direction. Two things about that. They easily are lost. Who, who's like sheep? We are. They're easily lost. It is the nature of a sheep not to go near the shepherd. It is the nature of a sheep to stray. Isaiah said, we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep go astray. Now, they're not always doing that because they're stubborn. Sometimes they do it just because they're careless. And so sheep easily go astray, but they also have a hard time knowing how to get back. As a matter of fact, they don't know how to get back. So they easily are lost, and they really don't know how to get back. That's like us. Sheep are completely dependent on the shepherd, and we talked about cast. Remember that, being in that cast position? The sheep can get on his back. He can roll over on his back. And he can get his little hooves up in the air, and he can't get, doesn't have the ability, athletic ability or the dexterity to get back on his feet. And so he gets in what is called a cast position. And um, Keller talks about this in his series of books on uh, sheep and shepherd from, from the biblical perspective. And we can get on our back, and we can't get up. And we have to have the shepherd. What does the sheep do when he's on his back and can't get up? He begins to cry out. And in the natural world, the shepherd doesn't always hear. But in the spiritual world, the shepherd always hears. He always hears us when we cry out. And he comes and he turns us over, gets us back on our feet. Because if the sheep stays in that position, the predators come immediately. Uh, the the uh, vultures begin to circle, which is just like the enemy. We get on our backs or cry out. If a little lamb cries out, we can't promise him the shepherd will hear. But when one of God's little lambs cry out, I promise you, he will hear you. Not only will he hear you, he will run to you. Isn't that good? He'll get you back on your feet. So 
Having said all that, how do we handle stress? I believe right here in Psalm 23 and 2, we see a lot of information about how God intends for us as his sheep to handle the stress that we uh, deal with every day in our lives. Psalm 23 and 2, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. There are three things, three things about the shepherd that lower my stress level. Number one, and we talked about this in my last sermon. By the way, Pastor Steve, didn't he do a great job preaching for you last week? Amen, amen, amen. And uh, Steve's a great preacher, great friend of mine, buddy of mine, and, uh, and I heard good reports. But uh, in the last message that I was preaching on the 23rd Psalm, I told you that one of the things we have in the shepherd is security. Security. We hear a lot about security today. Ever since 9-11, we hear a lot about security. Well, we have security in our shepherd. And the characteristics about the shepherd that make me feel secure are these. Number one, he is compassionate. He is compassionate. And we talked about that. We talked about the fact that not only is he compassionate, but he is caring he is caring. There are people sitting here under the sound of my voice right now, and if you were really honest, you would say, I'm not sure God cares about me. But I'm telling you, he cares because he promised it in his word in the book of Hebrews. He said, cast all your care upon me because I care for you. He cares for us. He's compassionate, caring. And then we found out he's courageous. Did you know our God is a man of war? Did you know our God is a man of mighty valor? He is a compassionate shepherd. He is a caring shepherd, but he is a man of power and war, and he will fight on your behalf. He is your high tower that you run to in the time of battle. He is courageous. And when I know this, that he's compassionate, caring, and courageous, I feel secure. And when I feel secure, guess what else I feel? Less stress. And the people said, if you don't give them to me, I'll ask for them. The second thing I notice about the shepherd is this, and this is new material. The sermon notes are in your worship program. If you want to fill in the little blanks, all the scripture references are there. <coughs> Excuse me. The sufficiency of the shepherd. Not only does the shepherd give me security, but the shepherd gives me sufficiency. When I read Psalm 23 and 2, it doesn't say maketh me lie down in brown withered pastures. It doesn't say maketh me lie down beside muddy, troubled, disruptive water. It doesn't say he leads me to dried up streams. That is not the Lord I serve. That is not the Jehovah that I serve. It says he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I like that. And he leadeth me beside still pools of fresh, clean water. And Jesus knows what I need more than I know what I need. Did you know that? Do you think you know what you need? How many of you ever thought you really needed something and then you got it and said, man, I wish I didn't get that? That great gospel singer, Garth Brooks. I've heard about this song. He says, uh, thank God for unanswered prayer. Boy, have y'all ever asked for something and then looked back and went, thank God he didn't give me that. Thank God he didn't give me her. <laughs> Honestly, I, I tell you, I thank God for Miss Millie. Uh, you know, I dated some girls before Miss Millie, and man, if I'd married one of them, I probably wouldn't be standing up here today, Seriously. 
God knew who I needed. He knew who I needed more than I knew who I needed. He knows your needs better than you know them. So why don't you just let him decide what you need? You know why some of you can't get your needs met? Because you are so bound and determined that you're going to get the needs you think are most important met. And so then you cry out for those things and you pray for those things and they don't come into your life. And you go, well, you said God answers prayer. Well, what you're asking for may not be best for you. And the people said, now we're talking about the second service group. I know you guys are more spiritual than them, but still... Everything I need and more I find in the Lord Jesus. Now, I, I was going to read this lengthy portion of Scripture, but I'm just going to comment on it. In Matthew 6, 25 through 24, and I think I've got that in your notes there, so you read it when you get home. Jesus talks about meeting our needs, and he said, you worry about food. He said, stop worrying about food. He said, you worry about clothes. He said, stop worrying about clothes. And then he said, look at the birds. He said, you worry about whether you're going to have enough food to eat. And, and he said, it breaks my heart. I want you to think about how much it would break your heart if your children were crying. And I, I've used this illustration before, but you go into their bedroom at night and they're crying. You say, honey, what's wrong? And they say, oh, I'm afraid we're not going to have any food tomorrow. Oh, that would break your heart. You'd go, I'm, you're going to have food, sweetheart. Don't worry. But God looks down on his kids, and we're fretting about stuff that he said, I'm going to take care of that. But we still fret about it. He said, look at the birds. He said, God feeds the birds every day. Y'all know Bill Gates? You ever heard of him? I mean, I know you don't know him, but if you do know him, could you tell him about the Kentucky trip? Tell him, about the, tell him about the Jack family wanting to adopt Valor if you run into Bill Gates. Okay, anyway. Um, or just tell him to pay us tithes and we'll distribute it. Anyway. <laughs> Bill Gates is worth between 45 and 60 billion dollars. Now, to put that in perspective, a billion is a thousand millions. The boy's got some change. Did you know that if he took every bit of his money, every bit of it, let's say he's worth $60 billion, and he took every penny of that $60 billion, do you know he can't feed the birds of the earth one single day? And our Father feeds them every day. That's your daddy. You talk about it. If I knew Bill Gates, I wish he was my friend. Boy, you've got somebody way more better than Bill Gates. And he isn't just your friend. He's your dad. And the people said, you say, well, tell daddy to loosen up with some of that stuff. <laughs> he knows what's best for you. Some of you couldn't handle prosperity. Some of you couldn't handle prosperity. I'm telling you, some of you are like, oh, just, I see other people. If he gave that same stuff to you, you might forget him. Amen, amen. I'd rather be poor and saved on judgment day than rich and lost. Man, that's good. That's old-timey preaching right there, buddy. Jesus said, don't worry about that. He said, he said, don't worry about the clothes. And then he talked about the lilies of the field and how God clothes them. He said, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. He said, he said the, I love this, in, in uh, Matthew 6, 32. He says, the people 
who don't know God worry about that stuff. He said, people who don't know me, who don't understand me, who haven't studied my word, they're the ones who worry about that stuff. He said, you're my kids. You know better. You know better, Jesus said. He said, the Father in heaven knows you need them. He said, the thing you should want most is God's kingdom. And, and the thing you should want most is obedience to God, righteousness. He said, then you won't need food. No, he didn't say that. Jesus didn't say you won't need food fashion and, and all of that. He, he, he didn't say you wouldn't need that. He said, if you'll put me first, I'll just add that stuff to you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to take care of you. Here, let me tell you what we're most interested in. Here's what we're most interested in. I'm going to give you, they're not in your notes. You might want to write these down. It's brilliant what I've come up with here. Um, in case you didn't know, it was brilliant. I wanted you to. Uh, what do people worry about? Food. Here's what they worry about. Food. Because some of y'all right now are going, man, I wish you'd shut up so I can go eat lunch. Food. Friends. We're worried about our social life. Food, friends, fame. Does anybody know who I am? Fortune, money, fashion, what am I going to wear, and fitness. Food, friends, fame, fortune, fashion, fitness. Now, here's what I want to say about those things. Those things are not a sin. Those things are not wrong. The only time they become wrong is when they're more important to you than the kingdom of God. The only, thing, the only time those things become a sin is when they are more important than the kingdom of God. Now listen, listen. When you make them more important than the kingdom of God, stress. Stress. Those of you right now who are battling financially, those of you right now who have been laid off your jobs, those of you right now who are struggling in this economy, if you will make that not the primary thing on your mind, but make Jesus I'm telling you, if you will make Christ the primary thing in your life right now and just come to him and submit yourself to him and say, but pastor, that's so important. I got to feed my, I understand that. But if you will come and make the kingdom of God first, he said, I will add those things to you. And God don't lie. God don't lie. Our priorities are out of whack. God didn't say they're not important. He said, these are the things people who are not my children worry about. Stop worrying about that. Seek God first, then seek God first, then seek God first. Then the result of that is that I will give you all this other stuff that you've made more important than me. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't say we can't have it. He says, I just want to be first. So what does the green grass and the still water stand for? Well, you know, I told you Psalm 22, 23, 24 is a trinity of psalms. Now, we're focusing on 23, but 22, 23, and 24 is a trinity of psalms. Let's go back to verse 22 and let me show you something. In Psalm 22, 26, the first part of that verse, it says the poor, and that means spiritually, the poor shall eat and be satisfied those who seek him. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Now, when you, when you study that verse, here's what it means. It means that satisfaction and a sense of contentment in your life doesn't come from eating earthly bread. It comes from eating spiritual bread. Psalm twenty two twenty nine 29 says basically the same thing. 
all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and what? Worship. What he's saying is this. He's saying, I want healthy sheep. And in order for you to be healthy sheep, when he talks about those green pastures, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the Word of God, the infallible, inerrant Word of God, the precepts of God, the law of God. And when he talks about the still waters, that is a picture of his Holy Spirit. So what the writer's teaching us is that you're never going to find satisfaction outside of Jesus. You're never going to find satisfaction outside of the Word of God. You will find temporary things who will satisfy, that will satisfy you for a brief period of time. But real contentment and real satisfaction is only found in that relationship with Jesus and then uh, constantly and consistently in His Word and by the waters of his spirit. He said in Matthew 4 and 4, Jesus actually is quoting an Old Testament scripture in Deuteronomy 8 and 3. And here's what he says. He says, people need more than bread for life. They must feed on what? Every word of God, the word of God, the Bible. So I'm asking you today, is the word of God a major part of your life? Are the scriptures... A major part of your life because if the only time you get the word of God is here on Sunday morning or at the bridge on Thursday and Saturday night, I'm telling you that's like saying I'm going to eat one meal a week and survive on that. You can't. You can't. It doesn't matter how, how long I preach. It doesn't matter how interesting I make my sermon. It doesn't matter how deep I go into the scriptures. You can't live on this sermon. This is, not, this is an hors d'oeuvre. This is to whet your appetite so that you will go home and say, that book is awesome. i got to get in it. This is not, I'm not, I'm not standing up. People, people say, well, I'm leaving this church because I'm not getting fed. You're supposed to be feeding yourself. You're supposed to be feeding yourself. When you say, I'm not getting fed, you're, you're confessing that you're not feeding your own self. You see, the Word of God ministers to your overall well-being and meets your deepest needs. The Word of God is bread to your spiritual body, what bread is in the natural to your physical body. Matthew 5 and 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How many people do you know today who are really, truly hungry and thirsty for righteousness? The Bible doesn't say happy are those who seek happiness or blessed are those who seek blessedness. It says Happy are those who put God first. Happy are those who put righteousness first. Well, how do we attain righteousness? There is only one way to attain righteousness, and it's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't attain righteousness on your own. Righteousness only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Look, the only way you're going to get in heaven is to be as holy as Jesus. Aren't you excited about that? I mean, you know you're going to be that. You said, Pastor, I'm never going to be that holy. I know. So when you come to him, if, you're, if you don't know him, and you were to come to him this morning and receive him, guess what he does? He gives you his righteousness. He imparts his righteousness on you. See, people think, if I can do more good stuff than bad stuff, and my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff, then when I stand before God, God's going to weigh everything and go, okay, boy, you just did make it. Woo. 
We're going to go to heaven not because we did more good things than bad things. We're going to go to heaven because Jesus has covered us. And when the Father looks on us in judgment, he doesn't even see us. He sees his Son on us. The righteousness of Jesus, when you are born again, when you are saved, when you receive Christ, the righteousness of Jesus is imparted to you. It's a gift. It isn't something you work up. It's a gift. I wish the world could learn that. So he said, blessed are those who seek after righteousness. That word blessed is so powerful. It means happy, satisfied, content. It means joyful. I love this. I found this out yesterday. It means to be congratulated. Isn't that good? I mean, when somebody comes to Jesus, what should we say to them? Congratulations. We had several people raise their hand at the bridge last night to accept Jesus. Congratulations. Congratulations. Blessed, blessed. Happiness is not something you find by looking for it. As a matter of fact, um, as a matter of fact, you'll never find happiness by looking for it. We've had a perfect example of that in our culture recently with the death of Michael Jackson. As we see a man who was so very talented, so very gifted. That's the only thing I can do for Michael Jackson. I can't moonwalk. I can hardly earth walk. Um, <clears throat> so Michael Jackson had it all. Super talent, good looks, buku. Do you all know buku? That's Greek for bunches of money. Totally miserable. Had all kinds of surgeries to change his face. Had all kinds of procedures to change his skin color. Had all kinds of weird things and bizarre religions and stuff going on in his life. And, and, and got into some really perverted behavior. All of that. Listen to me. Listen to your path. All of that trying to find fulfillment. Trying to find satisfaction. Trying to find joy. And with all the stuff, the food, fame, fortune, fashion, all those F things I mentioned a while ago, he had them all. He had them all, and he was miserable because what he needed, that void, that empty spot, what he needed in there was the only thing that will satisfy, and it was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Michael Jackson died young because he was ODing on drugs. And what are drugs? What's drugs and alcohol? And all? It's just, a, it's just a, an artificial way of escaping the emptiness for a brief period of time. That's why so many people are addicted. That's why so many people are just, do, and, and, and you got people who are using street drugs and but then you got people who are self-medicating with prescription medications. Some of y'all sitting here so holy, holy, and you got medicine coming in for about three or four different sources, and you stay high as a kite all the time. Amen, amen. Just because you're, just because you're abusing uh, um, uh, prescription drugs, that doesn't make you better than the guy on the street. I'm telling you, preaching the word this morning. You got to... And look, I'm not against things that are necessary, and I'm not against medicine that is necessary. But I tell you, I see people abuse it, and all it is is there's an emptiness in your life, a void that you're trying to fill with that stuff, and it ain't going to be filled until you put Jesus on the throne of your heart. 
Make him Lord of your life. Happiness. Let me tell you what happiness is. You're not going to find that by looking for it. Happiness is something you stumble over on your way to serve Jesus. Now, if I was writing, I'd write that down. Happiness is something you stumble over on your way to serve Jesus. Happiness is a byproduct of being right with God. Here's where unhappiness comes from. Unhappiness comes from self-centeredness. Unhappiness comes from sin. See, when you, you, see, the world says sin will make me happy, so I'll do sinful things. I, if I can get this woman or I can cheat this guy out of this money and I can get all this stuff, then, then I'm going to be happy. No, you're not. That is sin and that is self-centeredness. And God made it so that no matter what you attain in life, apart from him, you will never be satisfied. You say, boy, that's really a, a cruel thing for God to do. Hey, man, that's one of the most loving things God could do. Because in order for you to go to heaven when you die and not go to hell when you die, and I know preachers don't preach on that anymore, but I just thought I'd mention it. We believe in heaven and hell. We believe in a literal heaven and a literal hell in this church. I'm not ashamed of that doctrine. Amen? Amen. Y'all about left me hanging right there. So, so <clears throat> Jesus says, I want you to go to heaven when you die. So, so Jesus goes, I'm not going to let you be satisfied. I'm not going to let you be happy until you come to me. Because if you'll come to me, then you'll go to heaven when you die. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create this thing where you feel emptiness in your life until you come. Isn't that loving? I mean, Adam and Eve, just think about Adam and Eve. When they sinned in the Garden of Eden, Jesus said, or God said, cursed is the ground for your sake, for your good. He said in uh, 3.18, thorns and thistles, the earth, it, shall bring forth what? For you. He said, he said I'm going to create a situation now where when you pick a rose, you go, ouch. And when you walk down the road, you feel thorns in your feet, you go, ouch, ouch. You say, why did God do that, Pastor? Because the worst thing God could do is let you have a sin-diseased heart and live in paradise. Are y'all with me? I'm telling you, what I'm preaching and what I'm teaching right now is something that will answer tons of questions for you because some of you think that every little bit of pain you feel and every little bit of heartache you feel, that if you had enough faith and you love God enough and you were walking close enough to God, you would not have had to have that pain. That is wrong. There will be pain in this world. And that pain is to tell you that you need a Savior. He said, he said, when man sinned, he said, thorns, I'm going to make thorns because I want man to go, ouch. I want, listen, I know this doesn't go along with the famous preaching of our day, but I'm telling you the truth. God wants your path to be thorny. He wants your walk to be thorny. He wants you to remember you need him. I'm telling you again, the worst thing, the meanest thing God could do to us is us to have a diseased heart that we inherited from Adam and Eve and have a sin-diseased heart and let us live in paradise. Because here's what would happen. You'd say, nothing's wrong with me. Everything's fine. I don't need to come to Jesus. I don't need to serve God. So he created thorns so that we would feel pain. Every time you have a problem, every time you have a heartache, it's God saying to you, you're not in heaven yet. And to get to heaven, you need me. Y'all with me? People try to get rid of the thorns and thistles without getting to the cause of the problem. You know, if I go to a doctor and say, hey, doctor, I got a headache, I got a fever, 
I've got swelling. I, I've got all kind of physical things going on. That doctor goes, hey, you know what? I've got a couple pills and a shot I can give you make all those symptoms go away. Well, I'm all about getting rid of symptoms. But I want a doctor who's going to go, and then we're going to run tests starting tomorrow and find out where all this is coming from, and let's get to the root of it. See, when you do drugs and when you do alcohol and you abuse all that stuff, all you're doing is covering up the root. You've got to get to the root of it. And the root of it is you've not made Jesus first in your life. You say, well, I love Jesus, man. I love Jesus. Jesus is cool. And, you know, when I get sick, I talk to Jesus. If I have a problem, I talk to Jesus. Jesus isn't going to be treated like that. Jesus isn't a box of salt sitting up in the cabinet that you pour out, pull out and use just when you need it. He wants to be your Lord, your master. He don't want you tipping your hat to him, talking how, I mean, Pilate did that. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Uh, what, what have you got against this man? You know what Pilate never did, though? He never gave his life to Jesus. You can't just say good things about Jesus. You have to sell out to Jesus. Sell out to him. Let me give you one more thing in closing. And what does in closing mean? Nothing, Nothing, absolutely. The third thing is serenity we have in the shepherd. He maketh me to, everybody say it. He maketh me to, oh, don't you love lying down? Amen, amen, amen. We got some amens over here. (laughs) You guys going to do that later today? Man, there's going to be some slobbering on some pillows this afternoon. Amen? (laughs) Now listen, listen. God wants you to lie down emotionally. God wants your mind to rest. Y'all with me? I'm telling you guys, I can lay my body down, but sometimes I can't lay down my thoughts. I can't get them to rest. And, and, and even though I'm lying down physically, I'm not resting. God says, I'll help you. If you'll, if you'll come to me, I'll help you lie down, not just physically. But, but, but sheep will not lie down until they're contented. They won't lie down until they're contented. It says in Isaiah 30, 15, I love this verse. Watch this. It says, for thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said. Boy, Isaiah made that one clear, didn't he? Who's talking here? In repentance and rest you will be saved in quietness and trust is your strength see we know about repentance but he said repentance and rest we know about trusting God but he said in quietness and trust you will find strength but then look what it says but you are what not willing Psalm 46 10 says cease striving and know that I am God Hey, the sheep do something called chewing the cud. You ever heard of that? We're after I preached on this at the bridge, and so we've made a decision at the bridge. I don't know if you guys want to make the same decision. Y'all ever heard that little thing, get her done? <laughs> well, what we're going to do, we're going to t- uh, get T-shirts that say chew the cud. All right, and you'll understand. <laughs> you'll understand in just a minute. Sheep do something called chewing the cud. Sheep have two stomachs. Two. Wouldn't that be nice at the buffet? Two stomachs. 
So sheep have two stomachs. Now, here's what they do. Remember I told you they get up like 4 o'clock in the morning and they start grazing and nibbling here and, and grazing there and biting off. And what sheep do, their teeth are made so they just clip the grass off, just clip it off, just clip it off. And they store it in that first stomach. They don't really taste it. They don't really chew it. They just clip it off, swallow it, and put it in that first stomach. Then the shepherd says, come over here and lie down in the green grass by the still waters. And so they go over there and lie down, and then they go, and they bring it back up. See, now you don't want lunch so much. They bring it back up. Now watch this. This is beautiful. This is really beautiful. They chew what they had stored. Now the first time that they, that they took it in, it was like a Bible study. It was like listening to a sermon on Sunday morning <laughs> and just putting it in that first stomach. But then they went home after church and they got alone with their sermon notes and they brought that message back up and they began to chew on what pastor said. Or they begin to chew on their, what their small group leader said. Or they begin to chew on what their Wednesday night teacher said. Or, hey, even better, they start to chew on what they have been reading in their own quiet time with God. And they chew on it. Now, see, when the sheep is chewing on that, he's getting the juice now. He's getting the nutrients. He's getting the vitamins. He's putting on the fat. He's growing up. He's maturing. Because he chews the cud. Now the word in the Bible for chewing the cud for us is the word meditate. Meditate. Now the world stole that word from us. And now they got new age meditation and all this meditation garbage. Let me tell you what that stuff will do. You get into that stuff, you're opening yourself up for demon influence. I'm talking about God's meditation. God wants us to meditate. Let me read some scriptures about meditation real quick. Psalm 1 and 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. This is talking about a great Christian. The, the, the real strong Christian finds his delight in the law of the Lord. What's the law of the Lord? The Bible, the word of God. He delights in the word of God. And in the law of the Lord, this Christian does what day and night? Meditates. Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth and the of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 104, 34, may my be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. Psalm 119, 15, I will own his precepts. That word precepts means the word of God. It means the Bible, the words of the Lord. And I will, there's a word for meditate right there, contemplate. Contemplate. Now let me just close. I, I, I could keep going, but my time is way past gone. So let me just close. Me shutting that right there like that, closing those notes, that is a good sign for y'all. Um, let me tell you the danger of a, of a pastor, being a pastor. And nobody knows this better than me because I've fallen into this trap. I've fallen into it. I've been a preacher since I was 17 years old. I'm 52 years old. And I can still fall into this trap very, very easily. And so can you. If you are a teacher, if you are a teacher of the word or a pastor or a preacher of the word, here's a tremendous danger. You can study the Bible just to get sermons. 
You can study the Bible just to get a Sunday school lesson. You can study the Bible just to get up your lesson and be able to deliver it and to have people come up and say, oh, that was just so awesome. And you can say, oh, evidently God's pleased because people come up and say, I did a good job. And, so, and, and, and the devil's down there going, oh, man, I got him right where I want him. Because he isn't studying the Bible for his own self. And you can study the Bible and go away from God. Now that may sound strange, but if you are studying the Bible just for presentation or just so you will be able to kind of flaunt your knowledge about the Bible and look real smart to people and all that, listen, God's hand didn't know that. God's hand didn't know that. Isn't that amazing? See, God wants to talk to you. God has some stuff he wants to talk into your spirit and into your life. Not long ago, I went to Raleigh to visit somebody in the hospital. I was on my way back home, and I stopped at a coffee shop. Imagine that. <laughs> and I'm sitting there in this little coffee shop, and it was in a town where I knew not many people knew me. And so I thought I'd have some time by myself. And I got there, and I flipped my computer open, and I got, I've got like 15, 20, 30 Bibles. I don't know how many on my computer. And I was just reading, and I was just reading the Bible, and, and all of a sudden, God just started speaking to my personal life out of the Bible in the coffee shop, and I lost it in the coffee shop. I turned some table. No, no, I didn't turn table. I just started weeping. I just started crying. My eyes went. I mean, I wasn't like boo-hoo, but my eyes just went beep and just filled up with water and then just began to run down my face. And I, and I just thought, I'm so glad I'm here by myself, you know. And um, the Word of God became real to me. L listen, listen to me. Some of you won't stop and get quiet long enough for God to talk to you. God wants to say some stuff to you. Some of you right here this morning are confused. You need, you need guidance. You need God to speak into your life. You're confused about some stuff. You're confused about some feelings you're having. You're confused about some things that you're being tempted about that you thought was in the past and now it's reared its head again. You're being tempted in the area again. You, you just don't understand what's going on in your marriage. You don't understand what's going on in the loss of your job. You don't want to understand what's going on in your finances. You don't know why your children are acting like they're acting. You, you got relationships going on. You don't know what's going on. You're miserable. Your life is not good. And I I'm telling you, God wants to speak to that. But we won't hush. We won't stop talking. We won't stop. Oh, I just got to meet with. No, you don't have to meet with somebody. Meet with Jesus. I just need a counselor. I'm not against counselors. I are one. We got counselors here, but I'm telling you, this thing of getting a counselor, Jesus is going, hey, how about me? I'd like to talk to you. Jesus is going, I'd like to say a little something, something to you. But you know what? We, we, we say, oh, I've got to get my Bible. Sometimes you just put the Bible you say, oh, I just got to pray. Meditation means you ain't talking. Meditation means you ain't reading. 
I know this is bad English, but it's awesome preaching. Meditation means you don't have a counselor there. Meditation means you've closed off your house and got in the back bedroom or gone in the bathroom by the great white throne. I don't know where you are, but you need to get by yourself. And if you'll get by yourself and get quiet and begin to think upon the Lord, he will speak into your life some things you need to hear. I'm telling you. preach right here and I don't have time <laughs> but people come to us to meet with you man I just need to meet with you well have you met with Jesus no I need to meet with you no you don't you need to meet with Jesus I just want you to tell me here's what that I just want you to tell me what I want to hear <laughs> amen Because all you got to do to find out they don't is tell them what they don't want to hear. And then you are such a, he's a terrible counselor. He's just terrible. (laughs) God wants to say some stuff to you. Hey, let me just close with this. He says in the Bible, he maketh me. Lie down. So you know what? I think when you won't lie down, God will lay you down. Amen, amen? amen. Can y'all still see me? All right. God will lay you down. You know what David said? David said, it was good that I was afflicted. Now, I know preachers on TV don't preach that verse very much, but he said, it was good that I was afflicted. He said, it was a good thing that I, God laid me down. Here, here's the good news about that. It don't have to come to that. Because you know what you can do? You can go home and go, God, my pastor told me that if I don't lay down, you're going to lay me down. So I think I'll just go ahead and lay down on my own. Amen, 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 amen. You need to lay down before he maketh you to lie down. Amen, amen. Do you know he loves you enough? He loves you enough. He will make you listen to him. I had a fifth grade teacher one time that told me and told me and told me, and I wouldn't listen. She grabbed both my shoulders and went, and I went, and then I heard her. And sometimes God will get hold of you and go, he has done that to me, and it ain't been so long ago. Amen, amen. Father, I've preached way too long. These people have been way nice. Let the word of God do its work. Let us, like sheep, lie down now and take this message. Let us lie down and take this message and chew on it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Now listen, listen. Guests and visitors, pick up your gift bag before you leave. We are going to have prayer ministers here.